0: Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, August 23rd, 2021. Hope you've all been enjoying your summer. Hard to believe that Labor Day and the new school year are right around the corner. For today's podcast, Stephanie Melka returns to talk about the very beginning of pregnancy, basically from the time you get a positive pregnancy test until the first prenatal visit. Or, as Melka calls it, I'm pregnant. Now what? Last week, Sarah Cossent and I talked about the last few weeks of pregnancy. So I guess it's fitting that Melk and I are going to talk about the first few weeks. This should be a great podcast for anyone who is newly pregnant or anyone with a friend or family member who's pregnant, if they told you about it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. See you Thursday for High-Risk Birth Stories. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox an ob and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Helpful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Melka, welcome back to the podcast. What's going on? Hi,
1: happy to be here as always.
0: Always happy to see you. <laughs> the idea behind this podcast was yours you wanted to do this and you said hey let's do this yes. <laughs> i'm pregnant now what podcast so what in, what inspired you to this
1: so sort of the same thing that inspired the advanced maternal age podcast like, mm-hmm. this is something for years i've been getting questions on from right. family from friends from right. not friends from like people i went to like grammar school with uh-huh. that just sent me a message like hey i just found out i'm pregnant like what should I do? And all sorts of variations of that.
0: So this podcast, like the others, just to make your life easier.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Here, listen to this.
1: This is how I'm going to hack medicine. Anytime someone asks me a question, I'm just going to send a podcast their way.
0: It's going to be like when you do those, um, like you're texting or doing online chat and with a supposed quote unquote human where you type something and you get the automated (laughs) response. Anytime (laughs) someone texts Melka with a question related to medicine, there'll be an automated response with a podcast attached to it.
1: Sometimes a blog on our website, sometimes ah, a
0: podcast. So right. there'll be crossover. I think it's an interesting idea because, you know, we had a podcast about what to do to prepare for pregnancy. And obviously we've had podcasts about prenatal care and pregnancy, but there is, you know, that period of time between getting a positive pregnancy test, you know, usually at home, again, a urine pregnancy test and showing up to the doctor or people like, uh, what do I do? You know, like, where do I go? What do I do? Especially obviously if it's a first pregnancy and if people haven't thought about it too much or haven't prepared about it, which is fine. And yeah, that happens a lot. People usually call our office and they're like, I need to be seen tomorrow. You know, (laughs) I have a positive pregnancy. I'm coming in, I'm coming in. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about this. So why is it that we don't see them tomorrow, right? Someone has a positive (laughs) pregnancy test today. Why are they not coming to our office tomorrow?
1: So when you get your positive pregnancy test, Mm -hmm. we could do a sonogram and see absolutely nothing. Right. And then you're looking at, are you sending blood tests? Are you following them? Are you just waiting? So it's just logistically easier to say, come in around, you know, six, seven, eight-ish weeks. Right. You know, take a look. We'll see something at that time. Right.
0: How do we date Pregnancy. <laughs> when you say six, seven, eight weeks, oh, this is here this is go. confusing yes. to people, and I think it's confusing intentionally to make us seem smarter than we are. But explain when we say someone is six weeks, what does that mean?
1: I'm going to explain this and get it wrong because right. it's so convoluted. <laughs> right. So you're saying six weeks from their last menstrual period. Right. But you don't conceive at the last period. Right. You conceive two weeks after the period. Right. So when we say, oh, your when is your period, your X number of weeks, it's adding two weeks on to when you actually conceived.
0: Yeah, it is really weird. And I think the history behind this is, you know, this is before the time of pregnancy tests, ovulation cycles, anything like that. All we knew about timing was when did a woman get her last period? And, you know, typically women would get it about every month, plus minus. And so when someone would show up and they were pregnant, You know, and usually they wouldn't know till, you know, three, four months later because they didn't get their periods. They say, All right, when was the first day of your last period? And then they would count from there, and that's how many weeks they were at that time. But we know that you don't ovulate until two weeks after that day. So you can't get pregnant really until two weeks, give or take after that day. So when we say six weeks, we mean four weeks from conception. Like, and it gets really confusing for people when they have IVF, right? So they have IVF, someone comes in and puts in an embryo and says, you're two weeks and five days today, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> like you put this in two minutes ago, but that's basically how it works. So we we count from the last period. Sometimes I say we count from the life of the egg, or whatever. It, it's always confusing to people. But again, when we say six, seven weeks, we mean from the period, which would be four or five weeks. Uh, again, from conception, and usually there isn't a positive pregnancy pregnancy test until four weeks from the period or about two weeks from conception. So when someone calls with the positive pregnancy test, we assume they're about what we call four to five weeks. So when we say come at six to seven weeks or seven to eight weeks, that's just a few weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. And this does confuse people legitimately. Why we haven't switched to like something more scientific and normal. I don't know. It's just a convention. Okay. So we don't see people really early because again, there's really nothing we're going to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, we may, we can do blood work to get a, you know, an HCG and a blood test, but we're not going to see anything in ultrasound. There are some people that, again, if they have a lot of like medical issues or things that we have to take care of, or maybe adjust their medications or change, like if they know that there's a lot of stuff that has to be done and it wasn't sorted out before pregnancy, maybe we would either see them earlier, talk to them on the phone or do like a virtual concert or, you know, consult or something like that. But we don't typically see them in the office for let's say two, three, or four weeks, give or take from the time that they get this positive pregnancy test. Okay, so they have this period with no counseling, right. no nothing. So this is what we're addressing. This is where I come in. This is where <laughs> Melka comes in and her text comes in. So what should people know at that time?
1: No one really likes my answer because it's usually there's not much to do differently. Right. <laughs> I'll be like, you're young and healthy, correct? Like, I don't know all my friends' medical problems. I'll right. just be like- are you on any medications? Have you had any like big surgeries? Have you had like an ectopic pregnancy before? Where I think you're somebody that mm-hmm. should go in early. I'm like, nope, just live your life. Right. Um, I mean, the big thing is exposures. Like if you've been drinking alcohol, stop. Certain dietary changes, mm-hmm. and then that's sort of it. And then when the big one for me, as you know, is exercise, right? It's all the like the people I know, like running yoga, swimming, biking,
0: right? For the most part, continue. Excellent. So when should someone they get their positive pregnancy test, let's assume it's four weeks from their period, give or take, who should they call? Right? Who do you call in order to make an appointment? Do you call your gynecologist? Do you call an obstetrician? You don't know. Do you call a high risk specialist, a midwife? What do you do?
1: all of the above. (laughs) I mean, if you have a gynecologist, that's usually the best place to start. GYN-only doctors won't deliver, so Mm -hmm. you'll end up needing to see an OB. So some women might choose to just go right to an OB practice. Right. Others will want to see someone that they know already. Right. It's a little bit easier. They feel a little more familiar with them.
0: Right. So let's talk a little bit more about that. How would someone know if their doctor, right, the person they see every year for their pap smears or to get their birth control, or apparently in this case, to come off their birth control. (laughs) How would they know if that person does or does not take care of women during pregnancy?
1: Usually just asking them. Right. It's either on their website or just calling the office directly.
0: Yeah, because when we train in obstetrics and gynecology, we learn both obstetrics, which is care during pregnancy, gynecology, which is basically women's health care and surgery related to gynecology. And the majority of people who finish that training do both gynecology and pregnancy or obstetrics, but there's some that do just one or the other. So for example, I really don't do gynecology. I just do obstetrics. And we have people in our practice who just do gynecology and they will typically be very, you know, forthcoming (laughs) with this. Say, Hey, like when you get pregnant, they can see you, you know, verify it's a pregnancy, you know, do an ultrasound, send blood work you know, give you prenatal, whatever it is needs to be done. And then they will refer you to someone who does obstetrics. And this is something you can either ask at any gynecology visitor, like you said, call the office and say, Hey, does Dr. So-and-so see patients during pregnancy? And they'll either say, Oh yeah, she does. He does. They deliver here, this, that, or, you know, they'll see you for the first visit and then refer you to a colleague of theirs. But that's something that's important to know because some people are surprised to learn that the doctor they've been seeing all this time suddenly says, Oh, by the way, I don't, liver babies, I don't take care of people who are pregnant past the first trimester. So that's something you, if that's going to shock you, you may want to find out on the front end uh, that's something your doctor does. So if your doctor just does gynecology, you can either call them and they typically will see you for the first pregnancy visit, again, to verify everything, make sure everything's healthy and send you along to somebody else. Or if you know where you plan to go for pregnancy, you can see that person. And how does someone decide if they're going to see an obstetrician or a midwife? I'm curious how you think about this.
1: Midwifery typically is lower risk, Mm -hmm. healthier patients, as well as uncomplicated deliveries. Clearly, you're newly pregnant. You don't know what your delivery is going to be like, but- if you're somebody that's really thinking, like, you want a birthing center, you want, like, no epidural, you may gravitate more towards midwifery care.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people aren't going to be able to sort that out until they're pregnant and sometimes figure out what their risk factors are. and Because not everyone knows what, what the risk factors are. Like, someone might say, oh, I don't know that, like, the fact that I, you know, had a heart transplant as a child makes me high <laughs> risk. Who knew, right? But, I mean, th- there are things that that, that surprise people. Uh, and so one option is you're allowed to quote unquote shop around. You can see a midwife for your first visits, see an obstetrician the next day and sort of see which vibe you like better and you know mm-hmm. all those things and try to sort it out and ask them. And people usually are pretty hopefully open and honest about who they take care of and who they don't take care of and what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses for themselves and for their practice.
1: Yeah. I see people early on who are asking, you know, can I deliver at home? Can I deliver in a Bathtub? Can I right. deliver in a birthing center? Right. And like that's usually the segue of like we're an obstetric practice, we right. deliver in a
0: hospital. Right. Like
1: yes, we can do low intervention, but not to that extent.
0: Right. Like you can do those things, but we can't take care right. of it. We don't have bathtubs. No, but that's that's an important thing. And then uh, sort of like next levels, who needs to see a high risk practice? And I think generally people would you know, if they know that they may have already met with this person or spoken to their doctor, hey, when you're pregnant, I'm going to send you this high-risk practice. But again, if you're not sure, that's a question you could ask, you know, either the midwife or the obstetrician or make an appointment with a high-risk doctor who takes care of women during pregnancy. And, you know, sort of fortunately, when you just get pregnant, there's a lot of time to sort that out uh, in the first trimester to figure out who's going to ultimately take care of you during pregnancy. Uh, But usually I advise people to call sort of, shortly after they know they're pregnant. But again, the appointment's not going to be until two, three, four weeks from that point, mostly just to get something, you know, Mm -hmm. on the calendar, if it's a time or date you want, if you want someone to come with you, you know, whether it's your partner, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member or whether, you know, again, for work and all these things, just to make sure that you can try to get the appointment you want.
1: Yeah. And that's also hard because there's very limited information we can give over the phone. Right. So like, You know, one thing that we've talked about is like a VBAC. You know, I know patients will call our office and say, "I want a VBAC. Can I have a VBAC with you guys?" And like, you you can't have that conversation over the phone. Right. Um, So yeah, that first visit just to like be seen in person, have those questions answered, really helps.
0: Yeah, and it'll help sort of gauge on both ends. We'll be able to ask her sort of about her last delivery, about her health history, and sort of get a sense for her whether we think it's like in your V-bag example, whether it's safe to do it or not safe to do it, whether we think it's absolutely not going to be an option versus, yeah, it is an option. And on the flip side, the the patient herself can say, okay, are these people who seem to be in favor of it? Are these people who do it? Are these people know what they're doing? Do they have a reputation? All these things and get a sense of their attitudes for it. And the same thing, again, if, you, if it doesn't seem right, then make another point with somebody else. And then you can always decide who you're going to follow with. And I think that that's a really important thing. You can you can change doctors. Obviously, when you get late in pregnancy, it becomes more difficult logistically, but certainly early in pregnancy, very, very easy to see a couple of people or a couple of types of practices and then make a decision, who am I going to follow with? I think it's a courtesy to tell all the people you saw what your plan is afterwards. Like If someone saw me for a new pregnancy visit and then they never show up again, I might assume that they went somewhere else, but I also might be worried that like, what happened to this person? Is she okay? You know, did you have an ectopic pregnancy and yeah. stuff? So you, it's nice to call and say, hey, I ultimately went with another practice. No one takes that personally. We just say, okay, and we close out your pregnancy. And if you need any of the blood work we sent, sent over, we'll send it. So that's a nice courtesy. And then what about for people picking like, like a group practice versus a solo practice? Is it the same thing where they should just, you know, meet with that person or that group and figure it out? Or there's things that they might know on the front end to help guide them?
1: I think on the early on, some people might feel very strongly of I want to know exactly who is going to deliver me, and Mm -hmm. they'll end up either in a solo practice or maybe in like a group of two or three. Do you care if it's only females? If there's male doctors, and I think it kind of all comes into play together. Yeah, you know, my understanding the big downside of a solo practice is if you could have a scheduled appointment, and then if that doctor is doing a delivery your appointment can get moved at the last minute or canceled. And that's a barrier to some people.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it's probably a totally separate podcast on the you know advantages and disadvantages of a group versus a solo practice. And there's advantages and disadvantages to both. But it's something to think about. Like you said, when you're signing up for a practice, it doesn't matter to me if they're all women or not. And if it matters, you may just want to find practices that are all women and Nowadays, it's all on the website. It's very easy to figure this out. Yeah, it's geographically, still not, insurance. Though. I
1: really. I I, me. Every couple of weeks, I'll get somebody that'll come in and will say like, "I only want female doctors," mm-hmm. and I'll be like, "I'm sorry, like we we can't do that." Like right. Ha- like of our what nine or ten delivering doctors, like yeah. half are men. You know, we can do what we can to an extent, but things happen at all times of day or night, and right. If that's a deal breaker. Like you said, we don't get offended. Yeah. You know, like people end up going elsewhere.
0: Yeah. No, it definitely. Those things are important to people. And, various, and everyone's got their own thing that's important to them. For some people, it's geography. I want to be within X miles from the hospital. For other people, it's, I want to be thousand percent certain that everything's on my insurance. And other people don't care. I mean, there's really a, a lot of variables that go into it. Yeah, okay. Some
1: people choose based on what hospital they want sure. to deliver at. Right. Um, whether it's a positive or a negative. Right. You know, someone may deliver at a certain hospital and then they tell their friends like it was an awful experience, like the rooms were ugly or this or that. And don't go there. Right. Um, And then other people will rave about the hospital and then people will choose based on that.
0: Right. Okay, so someone is pregnant. They're making their appointment. You're not going to get a lot of information from the people who pick up the phones and schedule your appointment. Mm -hmm. Maybe the practice has a website that'll give you some information about, you know, things to do, things not to do. But just general advice. So prenatal vitamins. So someone's pregnant and they're not already on one and they're like, oh my God, did I hurt the baby? Is it, you know, is there a problem? What do you, what would you tell them?
1: Very, very rare that there's a problem. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But worth starting on one when you know. Uh, Yeah. Mainly the folic acid component.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's an important point because, you know, really the only part of the prenatal that's potentially important early, early in pregnancy is the folic acid. So a lot of people, when they get pregnant, they're nauseous on pretty quickly and prenatals tend to be pretty big and they have a hard time swallowing <laughs> them. So if you either pick up a prenatal or a multivitamin or whatever, and it's not working for you, just take folic acid. Those tend to be very, very small pills, usually easy to tolerate. The recommended dose is 400 micrograms, which is also 0.4 milligrams in case it's written like that. A lot of times people will take double that, take 800 or 0.8. Typical prenatal has either that, that, or sometimes close to one milligram or a thousand. But that's one of the things that probably should be taken. All the other parts of the vitamin, yeah, it's fine if you're on it and it's nice, but it could wait. If needed. It's not it's not a big deal if you're on it or not on it. And again, most people who aren't on folic acid, their babies will be fine. But it does lower the risk of certain birth defects. So it's good to be on it either before you get pregnant or right after you get pregnant. Uh, there are so some if,
1: foods mm-hmm. fortified with folic acid or yes. folate nowadays. So a lot of people do get it somewhat in their diet, but- Yeah, ideally start it a few months before you try to get pregnant or once you find out.
0: Right. And this also, a lot of people call up and say, I need you to prescribe me.
1: I don't like prescription prenatal vitamins. Mm -hmm. I think they're expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really expensive. They could be like a dollar a day for something that you could get like, you know, four times cheaper store brand. Yeah. There's a lot out there of like, you know- clean pharmaceuticals and that like the CVS brand has too many additives and this other one doesn't, but they all give you the basic stuff that you need.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it really, a lot of it needs to be personalized. I mean, ultimately for the vast majority of people, any prenatal that has folk acid, it's going to be fine. I mean, some there's some yeah. that
1: are smaller.
0: Yeah. There's some that are chewable. Yep
1: there's some that have DHA right. or don't have DHA. Right. And then in the DHA family, there's some that's plant-based, right. which is a little more expensive than the fish-based. But right. the fish-based ones taste like fish, or you people are like, I get fish burps after yeah. I eat right. it. So like, yeah, if you're taking a prenatal and it's making you like puke your brains out 20 minutes afterwards, switch. <laughs> yeah. Find another one. If you can't swallow pills, Take a chewable one or take like one of the smaller ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of prenatals that are marketed and some of them have their own. I don't want to say gimmick. There are gimmicks in a bad way, but I, I, I don't mean this in a bad way. For example, there's one that's, you know, designed to also include more things that'll help with nausea in pregnancy and, you know. Okay, like maybe that's going to help more than a different vitamin. There's other ways to do it, obviously. And some of them, again, their gimmick is that they're chewable, which is nice. And some of them, you know, have more of this and less of this and, you know, the size, all those things. But ultimately, you know, particularly if in your own insurance plan, it's going to be expensive. It's rarely needed that your prescription is, your prenatal is prescription. Very, very unusual. We would say, oh, no, you need to be on the prescription brand, prescription strength. For some people, their their health plans are such that the prescription prenatals are like dirt cheap and great. You know, <laughs> but God bless, that's fine on our ends. But usually, that's not the case, and it's very rare that that it matters on our end. People are usually shocked when they say, "Which prenatal should I take?" and be like, "I don't care." You know, and you know, really, just depends on the situation. There are some things about, again, tailoring, you know, what you need per trimester. Of this, but for the most people, if you eat a well balanced diet, as long as you're getting that folic acid you should be okay. Calcium is another thing, but hard to get that in prenatal. Some people need supplements and we give it to them. But from the point of the positive pregnancy test until the first visit, folic acid is typically all you should be getting. Okay. So you mentioned alcohol. Yes. This is a big one. I got pregnant. I didn't know I was pregnant for a week. I've been drinking. I've been partying. I've been going out. By the way, not I, because I don't (laughs) do any of these things. I'm like, I'm like the biggest like loser you've ever met in your life. But maybe someone yes. has more of a social <laughs> life than than this podcast host does. Should they be worried?
1: I think it's a normal reaction to be mm-hmm. worried, but medically, no.
0: Right. And why is that?
1: So early on, it's if there's any kind of exposure, it's thought to be what's called all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Meaning if there's harm done, mm-hmm. the pregnancy will not implant right. or will miscarry and miscarry very early. Right. But it's really unlikely to get significant birth defects. Yeah. From social alcohol consumption or even more than just casual social consumption early on until you get that positive test.
0: Yeah. And I think there's really two important points you said. The first is that typically the volume that people consume is not going to be dangerous at any point in pregnancy, meaning a lot of people call say, oh, my God, I had a, a drink last week or I went out to dinner and had two drinks at dinner and that type of volume. Sure. We we Discourage alcohol during pregnancy, but the volumes we're talking about really probably never cause problems at any point in pregnancy. But even someone who says, "Oh man, like I was at, <laughs> you know, I was at, I was at the the bachelorette party the other night, and we got I've heard some you know, of those got yes. trashed, and then suddenly I'm, you know, I'm pregnant. This is there a problem? If you think about it, that when there's something that could cause a problem in a developing, you know, baby, fetus, embryo, it it's only going to affect that organ when it's developing. So for alcohol, we worry more about the brain, right? From the point you get pregnant, going backwards, there is no fetal brain. It's a sperm and an egg. That's it. And they come together. So it's a clump of cells. Even for several weeks, there's no brain developing. So it can't affect the brain. It doesn't, alcohol doesn't last in your system, right? Once you're, you know, when you're hung over, it's out of your system, essentially. So unless someone really didn't know they were pregnant, And they're like ten weeks pregnant, eleven weeks pregnant, somewhere in that point, and they had a ton of alcohol. All right, that puts them at risk. Now it doesn't mean it'll happen. Most of those people, it still won't happen. But those are the people who there is a concern. But if you're like seven, six, five weeks in that range, really, there's no concern. If there was something so crazy went into your system, like you said, you're probably gonna either not get pregnant at all, or you're gonna miscarry early. But it should not have an effect. And that's true with most things um, that people are concerned about. So again, rarely, rarely, rarely is there an issue with any drinking that was done before the pregnancy test. That's pretty much zero. And even afterwards, if it's in a short time afterwards, it should not be an issue. Okay. So food. So now that someone's pregnant, are there any foods they need to avoid between now and their first visit?
1: Probably not. You know, the things that are, you know, concerning are the things where you could physically get ill from eating right um so like raw and undercooked things like a raw egg could have salmonella right um things where you could get exposed to listeria right so that's like deli meat unpasteurized dairy mm-hmm. um and then mercury consumption which is right large fish predators yes <laughs> shark swordfish yeah. mackerel that type of stuff yeah Think, and even yeah. then, those exposures early in pregnancy, like again, the mercury is brain development, and right. the thought is like, if you're eating a lot of it, it could that might not leave your right. system right away. Yeah, Mer- so.
0: mercury sticks around a long time. So I guess if someone's truly on a high mercury diet, right, that's probably the time you know to cut back when you know you're pregnant, just because this lasts in your system a while. You're gonna want to give your body time to sort of get rid of it as best as possible. So if you're a big shark eater. You know, maybe when you get pregnant, you should back off. The truth is that's something you probably should back off before you get pregnant if you can, because it really lasts in your system for a long time. But most people, even if they're having that, are not mercury toxic or anything like that. Um, tuna is the one a lot of people ask about. There's not a lot of mercury in tuna. So if you're eating it in the range of once a week, you know, maybe twice a week, it's probably fine either way. And I let, you know, people do it the whole pregnancies. So I certainly wouldn't tell them to stop. You mentioned exercise again. People are very worried that from the point they get pregnant, so they see the doctor, if they exercise, they're going to miscarry. True or false? False. False. Capital (laughs) F.
1: False. Capital F-A-L-S-E. Yeah. False. Yeah.
0: Will not cause a miscarriage.
1: Look, there are pregnancies that are going to miscarry anyway, no matter what someone does. Yeah. Um, But exercise will not. There's nothing physical. Like People will say, like, can I run? but isn't running going to shake the baby out right no it's not right like yeah
0: it's, no it's important for people to know that from the point of a positive pregnancy test there's a very high chance of miscarriage it's kind of a you know a bummer and it's kind of a downer to talk about this but that's just how nature is and when people quote like the percentage of miscarriages and you know you, you look it up in this yet to keep in mind it depends what is your starting point right so the likelihood of miscarrying once there's an ultrasound with a heartbeat is typically some number under 10%, right? And based on how old you are and the miscarriages you've had, okay, you can modify that. But before that point, it's much higher, right? So someone gets a positive pregnancy test, it could be as high as 40%, 50% chance of, you know, getting your period a week later. We call that like a chemical pregnancy, meaning the only evidence, quote unquote, you're pregnant was either a blood test or a urine test, never saw anything ultrasound. And so this isn't meant to like depress people, but it's A, people should know that. So just that expectations are realistic and also B, that even though it's very sad to lose a pregnancy very early, people shouldn't think it's uncommon or that it means there's something wrong with you. Almost never is that the case. But also just to understand why there's so much out there. Like someone could say, oh, I had a positive pregnancy test. Then I went for a run. And three days later, I got my period. It caused it. And Yes, it seems that way temporarily, but if you look at the people who didn't run, the same percentage of people had bleeding three days later and lost their pregnancy, so to speak. And when we look at these things in bigger studies, that's why we have such a high level of confidence that those things do not cause the miscarriage, right? If your chance is 40% miscarriage, 40% whether you run or whether you lie down in an oxygen tent, it doesn't make a difference. And
1: I've seen it with everything. Yeah you know, getting a massage, getting yeah. a pedicure, getting on an airplane, right. swimming, carrying right. their toddler, everything. There's right. someone that says, I did that. And then a few days later, miscarried.
0: Right. It's hard to to make your brain not see that connection because it seems so obvious. But again, when you look at groups of people, it's no more likely in the people who do all those things versus those who don't. The reason people miscarry from early pregnancies is almost always from day one, the embryo was genetically abnormal. And there's no control over that, obviously. It's already been determined the second the sperm and the egg meet. And so clearly what you're going to do is not going to affect the genetics one way or another. The big right? thing with exercise oh, that okay. I will
1: just add is you know, the same thing I tell people in pregnancy. like This is not the time to be pushing yourself like crazy. Right. I was super early pregnant and I knew it because I went out for a run and I was like, I feel miserable. Right. And I just, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And I'll tell people like, yes, you can keep doing what you're doing, but don't go crazy like feeling you have to be hitting the same level.
0: Right. It's very difficult to do. The pregnancy. For some it's people. A, yeah.
1: Other people are totally fine.
0: Yeah. But just like symptoms, some people are like puking all day and some people don't throw up at all. And the same thing with being you know, fatigued or exercise intolerance, all these things. It's different people experience pregnancy differently. We don't really understand why that is so much. It could even be the same person, different pregnancies. Some people have like, yeah, this pregnancy, I was nauseous, this pregnancy, I wasn't. And we really don't understand that so well, but it's definitely the case. So getting back, sex is the same thing. It may cause some spotting. The cervix gets a little friable, gets a little more sensitive, Uh, but it certainly will not cause a miscarriage. It just doesn't work like that. Some
1: people notice cramping as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But again, not going to cause a miscarriage.
0: Right. How about, okay, now I'm pregnant, so I have to sleep on my left side, right? Never. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So why why is that?
1: You have a blood vessel called the vena cava Mm -hmm. that brings blood from your legs up to your heart. Mm -hmm. Later in pregnancy, as the uterus gets bigger, if you lie completely flat, the uterus will compress it a little bit. You don't suffocate yourself. You don't suffocate the baby. But because that blood vessel is a little bit to the right of the spine, (laughs) people say you should sleep leaning towards your left or on your left side to move the uterus off of it. So early on, that is absolutely not a factor. Right. Any sleeping position
0: is fine. Yeah. Even late in pregnancy, I'm fine with any sleeping position that all that stuff was from like data for women in labor. Yeah. Like while they're laboring, we'll sometimes notice if they're flat on their back, you can tell that their blood pressure is a little different. Maybe the baby's mm-hmm. heart rate's a little different and we move them to left or right side. Doesn't matter what side. And it improves. But there's a lot of evidence that it makes no difference. And particularly early in pregnancy, sleep any way you want. Yes. God bless.
1: I'll even see people. If you can yeah, sleep. You can yeah. sleep flat on your stomach. Yeah. You're not going to crush the baby. Right. You can sleep on your back, either side. Yeah. Even closer to term, yeah. a lot of women wake up flat on their back and they're right. like, Oh my God, what did I do? Right. You did not do anything. Right. It's not an ideal position. Right. I do tell people maybe like twenty weeks, like if you really are like a back or stomach sleeper, like start changing sleep positions a little early. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, really early on, nothing different.
0: And then what about medications people are on? How do they know if they're safe to continue in pregnancy? Let's start with pills. We'll get to creams and lotions and stuff after.
1: Probably have to ask whatever doctor prescribed them. Yeah. Generally, it's not a good idea to stop pills without talking to your doctor. Yeah. And it could be something simple like a thyroid pill. Like any endocrinologist should be able to say, like, yes, you can continue this. Right. We have women that are diabetic, that have high blood pressure, that are on pills that are not ideal to take during pregnancy. And again, their physicians can tell them, like, okay, stop this, but start something else.
0: Yeah. And there's leeway with this, meaning the the pills that are like red warning, black label, skull and crossbone Mm -hmm. danger. Everyone who's prescribing them will say to a woman, Are you pregnant? Might you be pregnant? Can you get pregnant? Don't get pregnant. Like, yes. they're all over it. They'll like, like, Please have six forms of birth control and sign this form. And you'll know, like, That's this like is like this Accutane. Yeah.
1: Like, you take Accutane, yeah. you yeah. need a contract with your dermatologist <laughs> right. that you're on two forms of birth control.
0: Right. It's like stranger danger. I mean, they're all over it. So, yeah. The, I had yeah. someone
1: once that, like, couldn't use two forms. Like, right. she couldn't take hormone, like, right. estrogen she couldn't have an iud right. this that i had to like write a letter saying like i have counseled this <laughs> woman on contraception right right and right and those yes.
0: medications so if you're on one of those you'll typically know about it the other ones are usually ones that are probably okay but even if it was something we'd prefer you switch again from the time you get pregnant you got weeks typically yeah. till you would have to switch like if you're on a blood pressure medicine we'd prefer you be on another one you got a couple mm-hmm. of weeks all these things so it's not something that someone if you if you need a pill for your own well-being medical mental health whatever it is don't stop them like call whoever prescribed them or call your OBGYN like try to get that sorted out and you do have some time but stopping them i would say more often than not is going to cause more harm than good and so it's probably not a great idea to do that and if you're someone who's really concerned about these things obviously those are great questions to ask before you get pregnant like hey when i get pregnant do i need to stop this or switch or something but we're talking about for the people who have not made those plans okay we love you <laughs> too it's all good and what about things like we get us a lot about yes skin products yes right <laughs> whether it's prescribed or over the counter or whatever it is do people need to stop those
1: for the most part no right the big one that people will stop are the retinoids. Right. You know, tretinoin is the big right. one that's prescribed because right. of that thought of it being absorbed into the skin and converted yeah. into right. X, Y, right. and Z. If you, you
0: ate know. it, it'd be a problem. Correct. Right.
1: But you're not going to get those levels in right. absorption. But people right. still, to play it safe, will say, don't use it during pregnancy.
0: Right. Uh, but the rest are fine, basically. Right. Yeah. Makeup, over-the-counter yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's- It's all good. Yeah. (laughs) So that. Okay. So that's. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like benzoyl peroxide, whether it's the cream or the wash. Like I I tell people, yes, you could stay on them, which sometimes is upsetting to women because they're like, my dermatologist said I should stop it. Yeah. And I'll like
0: explain, you know. Yeah. Take it up with your dermatologist. (laughs) 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 I'd sometimes say have them call me. Yeah. And some dermatologists are like, oh, it's okay with you. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. She's like, okay, great. And some of them are like, you know what? I hear you, but. I'm not comfortable with it. Fine. Like, what are you going to do? Doctors disagree sometimes. This is like people, this is the world we have to navigate. Yeah. We can't all agree.
1: This is another area you look online. If you look up like skin lotions or creams in pregnancy, like huge rabbit hole of like clean beauty and preservatives and all this stuff. And
0: My beauty is clean beauty. (laughs) This is all natural. I've got no makeup on, Melka. This face you see- Space you see is is, is just, you know, the face I was given. And then what about like cleaning products? You know, oh my God, I was, they were painting my house when I got pregnant. I I walked by a construction site. I, all these things. All fine. Yeah. You know,
1: you're getting so little exposure. A lot of the chemicals that smell. Right. You're not inhaling high quantities of the concerning chemicals. Right.
0: You probably pass out. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I say if it's enough to harm the baby from that type of exposure, it it would harm you you first. You would be very, very ill. Uh, People get like carbon monoxide. Like, do I have an issue? Like if you're like, okay. in breathing, it's, it's not going to do anything. You're going to, you're going to be okay. The one thing people ask about, which I think there's some evidence to support is stopping to use like hot tubs in the first trimester when they get pregnant. It's not Great data, meaning it could be total bogus, but there's some data that women who use hot tubs use or go in hot tubs, there's a slightly higher risk of miscarriage, and so a lot of people tell women to avoid it, like from their pregnancy tests or first trimester. Again, we're not certain it's the case, but they're probably avoidable for most people, and so I've why heard not? Of the yeah.
1: increased body maternal body yeah. temperature and yeah. increased neural tube defects. Right. So avoiding the hot tub because yeah. of that. Yeah. And that is not a bathtub. Correct. Well, a lot of people ask this. And yeah. I'm like, sitting submerged in a jacuzzi is not affecting your body the same as sitting in your bathtub with even with really hot water. Like, right. You're not getting that same level.
0: Right. And yeah. And also the the bathtub you're in is not heated, meaning it cools off. So once you get, when you get in your body temperature and the water temperature start to equilibrate. So yours won't go up. Whereas a jacuzzi, it's continuously heated. So it's like boiling, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I do tell people, you know probably worth it to avoid hot yoga because you are in a hot room for a long period of time. And with exercise, it's just so unpredictable how your body's going to respond, especially if you're doing a lot of inversions. Right. But again, like I have, you know, patients that are experienced yogis that are like, I can hydrate. I know my body. I've done this before.
0: When should people expect To start having symptoms of pregnancy.
1: Yes, (laughs) at any time. (laughs) Yeah. Usually not at the first pregnancy test, which I think is why a lot of women are surprised when they get a positive test because they're like, I feel fine. And sometimes it's not until six, seven weeks that they start really feeling fatigued or nauseous.
0: Nausea is definitely a sign of pregnancy, but it tends to come actually a little bit after things like feeling tired or what we call fatigue. Breast tenderness is usually a very early sign because that's just like from the progesterone. Some people feel like they're peeing a lot more than they were. Those are a lot of early signs of pregnancy. And again, some people have none of these symptoms. Some people have a lot of these symptoms. It's not that well correlated with how, quote unquote, good the pregnancy is. I mean, sort of when someone has a lot of symptoms, we say, oh, you know, it's positive because it's a good pregnancy. It's just it mostly make people feel better, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's not always correlated that well. People ask me all the time, when should I tell that I'm pregnant? When should I tell people? you get that question a lot? Yes. Yeah, like all the time.
1: Which is interesting because, again, these are like people that like I know socially and right. I'm finding out before right. like their parents sometimes or like right. their, you know, closer friends. You know, I usually start with, you know, how far along are you in the pregnancy and like what's the miscarriage risk? And right. are you OK with these people knowing that you had a miscarriage? What I usually say to people is like positive test to first visit. You're probably only telling a few like really close family and friends. Mm-hmm. And then maybe by 12 weeks, you've done genetic testing, you know, things are growing well, you're starting to tell like closer family and friends. And then 16, 20 week anatomy scans or the Facebook pictures or like the Instagram announcement when like, hey, now the world knows.
0: Yeah. It's like this whole like ritual it's- that people go through. That's, it's just like you said, it's really just how some people, are very comfortable with everyone knowing what's going on in their life, great, tell everyone immediately. Like if, if, if you would prefer everybody know that you got pregnant, had a miscarriage, you know, again, if you miscarried, had a miscarriage so that they understand why you're going through a tough time, why you may be in a bad mood or why you didn't show up for this or why you're not drinking at your friend's party or whatever it is, if, you, if your life is like an open book with your friends and family, tell them immediately. Like whatever, it's your business. Like there's nothing on our end. We don't care if you tell people. And if you're more the type of person I'd rather not people, you know, people not know my business. I'd rather if I had a miscarriage, I just want to keep it you know, real tight in my family and that's it. Then, yeah, you're not going to tell people until you're highly confident that's not going to happen sometime after 12 weeks. And but again, from our end. We're fine with anything. Yes. Like it's you know, God bless whatever you know, whatever makes people you know go through this world more comfortably. That's fine with us. But I do get asked it all the time, like, when should I tell? I was like, uh, when do you want to tell? <laughs> you told me. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to know.
1: One one of our next episodes can be like, how do I fake drink at my <laughs> blank? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Feed it to the dog. Yeah, did
1: that at my cousin's wedding. <laughs> fake drink? Yes. There's yeah. so people do so many different things. You you can have the same glass as what your partner's drinking, and you just carry it around. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just get soda water with a splash of cranberry juice and a lime in it and make it look like alcohol. There's a whole thing on this, because if a reproductive age woman who usually drinks is not drinking, everyone will assume they are pregnant.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many there's reasons. There's many listeners you know, out there right now yeah, that are nodding their yeah, heads. Yeah, there's so many reasons why that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. <laughs> not reproductive age. I'm not a woman. I don't drink. All right, <laughs> all of the above. Okay, so overall takeaway from the point of the positive pregnancy test, there's not a ton to do. There's not a ton not to do. You know, maybe pick up a folic acid if you're not on it already, or a prenatal, whatever, you know, something that has folic acid. Don't do anything crazy dangerous. Figure out, you know, what appointment. Uh, you're going to make and with whom. And again, not to be a downer, but it might happen. It will miscarry. And it does not mean it's because of anything you did. In fact, it's not because of anything you did. And then again, for some people, they find that comforting to know that it's out of their hands. For other people, they find it horrifying that it's out of their hands. But that's just sort of the reality of it. But again, for the vast majority of people who call, we're going to see them a few weeks later, everything's going to be fine. And then we're going to be rolling. Yeah. Amazing, I'm pregnant, now what?
1: (laughs) Listen to this podcast, now what? (laughs)
0: Thanks for coming on, Melka.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.